Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the second installment in my Batman movie review series. Today I am reviewing Batman Returns. This is your host, Corbin. Next week, Alan and I will be back together again to review Jurassic World Dominion. And if you're wondering, have we reviewed the previous entries? You're correct, we have reviewed the previous entries we reviewed the original jurassic park trilogy and we've reviewed the two jurassic world movies that have come out and now we're going to be reviewing the third one so that's coming out next week i have linked below to our previous reviews if you want to go back and listen to those but you're going to want to make sure to click subscribe right now so you don't miss the review coming next week i have a feeling it's gonna be a doozy Uh, if it's anything like our review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I think I think you're in for something special, listeners. So you're not going to want to miss our review next week. Of course, we have all kinds of other great reviews. I've reviewed the Zack Snyder superhero films. Uh, we just finished the Superman series. I've re- we've reviewed the Nolan trilogy of Batman films. Me and Alan have. All of that can be found below or in the archives uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're exploring the description down there, we've got timestamps if you're ready to jump into the review or jump to my final rating and recommendation for the film. We've got all of our social links. We've got all kinds of great stuff. And no matter where you're at, go ahead and leave us a five stars. It really helps us out. All right, so Batman Returns. I spoke about my nostalgia for the film last time. I don't have any nostalgia for this film. The only nostalgia that I have is that this was kind of the ugly redheaded stepchild of the Batman series that I knew of. So I did see Batman, you know, forever growing up. I saw some Batman and Robin. This one I was not allowed to watch as a kid. Now we did own the DVD. I think my dad got the DVD, watched it and said, eh, nope, I'm not letting you watch this. I was always told this movie was dark. It was just too kind of menacing. There's actually some naughty sections in the film. There is quite a bit of sexual innuendo that I know is uh, people had problems with. This one was always too dark for my viewing. So eventually I did watch the movie. I don't remember when my first watching was. I remember it being just kind of strange and unmemorable. Then I watched it with my girlfriend, who is now my wife. That was a number of years ago. So now I'm finally watching this with my SSG goggles on. So I've got, I'm in reviewer mode. I'm in, you know, cinephile mode, trying to really get down and determine, is this better than Batman? Is this the best of the Keaton Burton Batman duology? Well, that's what I'm going to discuss here in the review. But Going back to 1992, I wasn't alive yet. I was getting close to being alive, but I wasn't alive yet. Would the trailer get me in to theaters? You know, it's a great trailer. I would be there opening weekend. It really looks like they put a lot of effort into one heck of a wild ride. This looks like really gonzo, really crazy. Um, I, I really like the production stuff I'm seeing in this. Uh, It's a much better trailer than the last time, so I would be there. I think I might be going, you know, 
with my seatbelt already fastened because it looks like it's it's going to be a lot. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Batman Returns and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. It is streaming on HBO Max. It's also now available physical on 4K, digitally on 4K. Uh, a lot of easy ways to get your hands on this one. So the plot consists of, I believe, the Penguin wants revenge on Gotham. The Catwoman hates men and she wants revenge on her boss, Max Shrek. Oh, and the citizens of Gotham are stupid. Also, Batman does show up. That's about the plot of the film in a nutshell. But let's start off positive, even though the plot doesn't make a lot of sense. It begins with the Penguin's origins, which I think is kind of surprising. We never, we, we got a little bit of a flashback of Batman's origins, but never really full on like we saw with Batman Begins, which Nolan did. This really is the origins of the Penguin, and it sets the tone of the film right away. Um, it's almost a bit of a silent opening. A lot of incredible orchestral music from Danny Elfman, who has returned. We also know that Stan Winston is doing the penguin effects in this, which I'm sure is a reason why it got nominated for Best Visual Effects. The opening is quite dark. It's quite strange, but I got to say I'm completely pulled in with this opening. I love the visual design. I absolutely love it. And I think they're doing a good job of setting him up as the anti-Batman because it it does take place 33 years later, and there's newspapers saying there's these penguins living in underground tunnels, and there's been another penguin sighting, which is very similar to how Batman was rumored in the previous film. Now, right off the bat, I'm just going to talk about Danny DeVito's performance. I think it's great for the most part. He really does throw himself into the role. From what I understand, he went method. He most of the time stayed in character around set. Um, the makeup is absolutely incredible. I can't even really tell it's him based on his looks. The voice a little bit. I think sometimes he sounds a little bit too much like Burgess Meredith from the uh, Batman TV show from the 60s. But overall, I think he is a great job and a great dark, just off-putting villain. I'm also very surprised to see this is a Christmas setting. This is a Batman movie that takes place exclusively at Christmas time. Why they released it in June, they didn't even go for the whole Christmas in July thing for some reason. Nevertheless, this I wonder how this would have done if they would have released it around Christmas. Maybe it would have done worse. Probably would have put a bad taste in people's mouth. And we know Burton had a Christmas on the mind because he was developing A Nightmare Before Christmas, which would come out the following year. I will say the main draw of this movie for me is that it oozes atmosphere. It definitely pulls a lot of designs from the movie Metropolis and even a lot from Nightmare Before Christmas, which was, I said, going on at the time. Edward Scissorhands had just come out. It's the same uh, production designer um, from Edward Scissorhands and I maybe Beetlejuice. I don't know about that. Anyways, it's the same production designer from one of those movies, but Burton's production designer, who was nominated for the first Batman film, wasn't able to return. So these look like two different Gothams, and I'll just say right here, listeners, I think to enjoy this movie, it's best to enjoy it not thinking of it as a follow-up to Batman because it has very, very little connection to that, even aesthetically. It's best to just think this is just another go at the Batman story. This is what Burton would have done probably if he would have had total control the first time around because we know Warner Brothers and other people were kind of 
pulling him back a little bit, a little familiar, you know, with what they did with Dune and David Lynch. But nevertheless, this doesn't look like Gotham. It's a totally different Gotham. I love the setting for the most part. Uh, it's it's really brilliant. But that being said, I do think they struggle sometimes to make this feel like you're not on a set. Most of the time, I never believed I was in any kind of city. It really does feel like a set. Maybe that lends to some of the German expressionism. You know, we've got a character named Max Schreck, which is the name of the guy who played the vampire Nosferatu in that film, another German expressionistic type film. I can see where they're going with that. You know, Metropolis also came out of Germany as well. I think they're playing into it. It doesn't always work. It does take me out. I mean, especially during the daytime, it looks like they're on a set. It doesn't look like there's actual daylight whatsoever. It also feels pretty small. They don't have enough extras for this whatsoever. So it is kind of this weird, small contained world with some, you know, large giant peripheral sets. It's it's a weird clashing feeling though. One thing people will notice coming off the last film is that Kim Basinger is not back portraying Vicki Vale. She is mentioned by name. He does bring up why Vicky doesn't return in one scene. I, I don't really have a problem with that. I think she was an okay asset to the first film, but not enough. And especially movies of this era would frequently cut ties with its predecessor because they kind of wanted to do a new thing. They didn't want to feel encumbered by bringing back new characters. They wanted to do new characters, explore new events, and that's what they do with this movie. The pacing of this movie, for the most part, is pretty well done. 30 minutes into the movie is when sort of you're getting close to finishing off the first act. I notice it's moving along well, but there's no Batman really yet. He's just kind of in this one little scene in the beginning and just unceremoniously disappears. It's not until 36 minutes into the movie that we come back to Batman, which I'm shocked about. This is causing me to realize Burton doesn't seem that interested in Batman as a character. He's just adoring his creation of the penguin and catwoman to a bit of a lesser extent but she's still there nevertheless batman really is more of an afterthought in this movie and while i do like elfman's score um also it is played far too much it's incredibly heavy-handed throughout the movie to me it does sound like he's still a bit in edward scissorhands mode and even more so than that he's probably beginning to work on the score if not scoring Nightmare Before Christmas around the same time. It sounds like he's borrowing heavily from himself. So it's not as original as the first time around. I don't like it as much. It does serve the demented aspects of this film. I just don't think it's quite as good. And it is played almost constantly throughout the whole movie. Returning to my disappointment with Batman though. His fight scenes are either silly, unceremonious, or he just shows up and just kind of walks around. He's also just kind of this dolt in general for instance he lets the christmas ice princess fall to her death he doesn't even try to save her he himself gets knocked off the building it's just disappointing to see this very incapable batman who's just kind of a dummy and he's just kind of you know a pawn of the villains of the film also alfred is really kind of dumb and goofy in this also alfred does tech jobs where he goes to this, uh, you know, synthesizer type keyboard thing and puts on these giant headphones and he does all this cool tech stuff to help Batman out. It's disappointing they never really figured out what to do with Alfred or they didn't even really care to do anything with him in the first place. They also try and come up with clever choices in this movie, such as Batman has this land type speeder. 
when he's going through this incredibly narrow alleyway, you know, granted this is something no one will borrow in the future to create the bat pod shooting out of the Batmobile. Burton did it here first, folks. Um, also the fish tank where he has to reach into the fish tank. And then he goes into this like spiked sarcophagus, which leads him to a slide down into the bat cave. I will say, I think a lot of this stuff is just a mess in general. There's also this really silly remix scene where Batman is able to scratch discs and remix the penguin's voice in order to get the citizens to, you know, all 50 of them to turn on him. The Batmobile is hijacked by Penguin's goon and Penguin gets in a mini go-kart Batmobile and he drives it around the city. It is, and Batman's essentially helpless the whole time. It's just really goofy, silly stuff. And I think that's something, if you haven't seen this yet, listeners, and you're going to watch it, go in knowing this is a dark comedy. That's that's just what you need to know. This is a comedy movie where they put in tons and tons of comedy. It's very dark. It's very aggressive in many different ways there's just a lot of comedy and pretty much all of it didn't work for me i also don't care about bruce and selena i care about him a lot more in the new batman movie that just came out with robert pattinson and zoe kravitz this one i don't care about their relationship whatsoever they really try and make us think they've got something going on they've had about two or three conversations it's really contrived really thrown together um disappointing there's more chemistry going on between him and, and uh, kim basinger in the last one it's, it's just not here catwoman's transformation i haven't really talked about her yet in the review she's nipped to death by cats i guess they're bringing her back to life because her boss max shrek who is played by christopher walken he doesn't make sense here originally this was supposed to be billy d williams as harvey dent um having him as the two-faced villain of course burton I think Burton was just going in way too many different directions. He wanted to do everything all at once. Got really over his in over his head with all this. I think um, it's weird. It's too weird, honestly. Watching her turn into this evil cat and her, you know, her clothes are trashed, and it's just a really, really rushed thing. Where they're focusing a lot on the Penguin. They realize they have to set up Catwoman, and they just have to get Batman in certain scenes because it's technically called Batman Returns. Catwoman's origins are weird and they're rushed. I did mention the comedy a little bit. Um, just going back to that, there is also sexual humor in this. It's really out of place. Uh, it can be quite dirty at times as well. There's some just really bad writing in general um, where Batman is going to fight. No, Bruce Wayne is going to go against Shrek. And he says, you think you can go, go how many rounds you think you can go against Muhammad Shrek? Weird writing. Also, they push someone to the floor and they say, eat floor. It's a good source of fiber. Once again, absolutely terrible writing. This might shock a lot of you. Batman, Penguin, and Catwoman don't meet until 58 minutes into the movie. By this point, we're at least halfway through the film and they're finally all in one scene together. The pacing of this movie, it's good at first and then it's really, really off. And a lot of the stuff they set up in the first act seems to be thrown away for the rest of the film. It's also just really dumb that Penguin runs for mayor and everybody's kind of going gaga over him. I understand this is a plot in the 60s television series. This Penguin looks so off-putting and so wicked and he's such a pervert. It's hard to believe anybody would go for him. I get they're playing off a satirical aspect of, you know, politicians are supposed to be really smarmy 
and really gross, but people vote for him anyways. I just don't think it quite works here. If I haven't mentioned it already, the bat sewer mobile is incredibly dumb and it's essentially not used at all except to as a giant, you know, battering ram to crash into the penguin's giant duck. Also, the climax isn't that exciting. There's very little stakes with what happens with the penguin and he just kind of drops dead. There is more drama with Catwoman facing off against Shrek and her, I don't know, anxieties over different things. Also, Batman rips off his rubber mask. It looks really silly. There's no emotional impact there whatsoever. And of course, Catwoman and Shrek go in this incredibly gruesome way. I think by the end of the film, a lot of people are just left either scratching their heads with a bad taste in their mouth. And then, of course, the very end of the film, you find out that Catwoman lives. Bruce is just driving down the street and he picks up a stray cat and, he, you know, goodwill towards men and women. That's an actual line, he says. And then they pan up through the city and they see the bat signal turn on and Catwoman raises her head, which is not Michelle Pfeiffer, by the way. This was actually a studio mandated ending. That's the one thing that, you know, well, probably shouldn't say the one thing, but at least one major thing the studio did interfere on. And Burton says, oh, I really wanted it to. I don't know how much of that I believe. This scene ended up costing a quarter of a million dollars and they had to shoot it like right before the film released. And they said it was really, really stressful to figure all of that out. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, we'll talk about it here, why they had to put Catwoman in the end of the film. Batman Returns is an odd duck, or should I say penguin. This installment truly is Burton's Batman. It's so obvious how watered down his vision was in Batman 89. I love Burton's films for the most part. Not, not all of them. Some of them I have a lot of issues with, but his style is so unique. It's a delight to play with these characters in this demented world. I like this Gotham a lot more than the last film. The costume and set design is impeccable. Danny DeVito really is the reason to watch. Now, I know some people don't care for his performance, but I did. There's so much style to adore in this film, but the story is just too wacky to hold my interest. Not to mention, I'm majorly disappointed how Batman is portrayed, or lack thereof, in this film. He's also, once again, up to his murderous ways. He sets some, a clown on fire, for instance. I get it. Burton said that's the point. He's not supposed to eat up the screen, but it's called Batman Returns after all. It's a weird Batman movie. In some ways, it's great, but in other ways, it's just too off the wall. It's great for a what-if styled film, but it's not enough for me to enjoy for a full two hours. Keaton isn't very good. Pfeiffer is definitely shocking, but I'm not sure if she's someone I want to watch so long. Since her origin and motivation is kind of ridiculous, Walken is a huge question mark, but DeVito truly is great. Burton swung, but didn't quite get a home run here. Batman Returns receives 5 stars out of 10 with a not recommend. Would I add this one to my collection? Probably not. I actually probably would pass on this one. I can't really ever see myself watching it again, maybe someday far down the road. If I ever wanted to watch it, I would probably just rent it. I do have two other recommendations for you, though, after you do or don't check out this one. I'm recommending Dark City. I think Dark City is somewhat of a spiritual successor to these Burton movies, um, mainly for the production design, but I think you'll enjoy the story here a little bit better. I'm also recommending The Last of the Mohicans, which I know has nothing to do with this movie, but it did come out the same year. That's probably my favorite movie from 92. I absolutely adore The Last of the Mohicans. 
Well, after Batman Returns was done, Burton came to the WB execs and he said, I'm ready for Batman 3. Let's do it. And uh, Warner Brothers said, well, we uh, we appreciate that. We like what you did. But are you sure you don't want to go do, you know, your own movie? We, you know, we can give you some money. You can go go back and do another movie. Burton felt like it was pretty obvious they did not want him to return for Batman 3, primarily because this movie was so controversial when it came out at the time and really did damage marketing and sales and people it kind of gave people a bit of a sour taste with batman and especially children as well they said uh okay we we, we got to find somebody else but what they did say is how about you do a catwoman spinoff that's exactly why they kept catwoman in the end of this movie so a Catwoman spinoff film was announced sometime in 1993. Um, Denise Novi was coming back to produce. Waters was coming back to write the screenplay, which he did, and he turned that in on the day Batman Forever was released. There wasn't a whole lot of progress being made on the movie. It was around mid-1995 that Pfeiffer was like, yeah, I'm still interested in the movie, and we know it would have been dark. It really would have been in the same vein as the film we just saw but burton was interested in returning work with johnny depp so he followed up this movie just two years later with ed wood which is a movie i really do like it's got bill murray in it uh i enjoyed it i own it on blu-ray uh black and white film you know rated r it has actually much higher scores than this batman returns movie does so he's like i'm working on ed wood uh, this is more of my interest and then eventually he would go on to do Mars Attacks. And then it was pretty obvious he didn't want to have anything to do with the Batman world, really. But in April 2001, the project was still in development at Warner Brothers. Ashley Judd had signed on to the film to portray Catwoman. By this point, it had been nearly 10 years since Pfeiffer stepped into the role. I think she was probably aged, either aged out or just not interested in it. So they said Ashley Judd's going to do this Catwoman movie, presumably within still the same world that Pfeiffer uh, created, still the same character, until Judd fell through. So they ended up going with Halle Berry, and they finally did make the Catwoman movie, which came out three years later in 2004, and it was a box office bomb, critically panned. Me and Alan watched it. I, I personally give it a 1 out of 10 it's pretty horrible. But I mean, if you're looking for something so bad, it's good. That's it. But the Catwoman movie did have its origins with the Michelle Pfeiffer role. That's really where it began. Now, surprisingly, in early 2021, DC announced Batman 89, the official third entry in the Burton verse with the return of Catwoman, the final intro finally introduction of Robin and never before seen Billy D. Williams character Two-Face. The first six chapters did come out July 27th, 2021, and it was written by none other than Sam Hamm. Now, we do know that Michael Keaton is coming back as Batman Bruce Wayne for The Flash, which is supposed to come out sometime in 2023, supposedly. But I know a lot of people are excited to see Keaton return as Batman. I'm very curious how that's going to be. As far as I know, Burton, I don't believe Burton's returning. Um, and there is a lot of hints that Robin will come up as well. 
Well, listeners, the question after the show, do you like Batman Returns better than Batman 89? You know my answer, but I want to know yours and tell me why or why not. So comment wherever you're listening or watching this, or you can send me an email at silverscreenguide95 at gmail.com. The email and the question are below, so you can review those, and I will read your answer on the show, and we can talk about it. Listeners, thank you for joining me. Remember, I will not be coming back next week with the third entry, Batman Forever. We've got a new director. We've got a whole new cast and crew. Um, Keaton is out. Val Kilmer is in as the new Batman. That's not next week. That's going to be in two weeks. Next week is Jurassic World Dominion. So now's the time to catch up on our thoughts so you can know you know, know our background coming into this movie from there. You're not going to want to miss that review. But in the meantime, check that out. Check out my previous review, Batman 89, if you have missed that as well. And I'll see you next week with Jurassic World Dominion. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.